This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Investors Roundtable. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. You can follow me on Twitter at Bobby K. Kraft. That's B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T. And we have a, a I'm really excited about this topic today because it's a microcap focused topic. You know, we don't always just talk microcaps on this show, but today we're going to be talking microcaps because it's a question that I've been getting from all walks of my universe. So, you know, why are microcaps surging? You know, why is what, what's happening with microcaps right now? So I figured I'd get some of the best minds I know in microcaps to come on and let's chat about it. So, you know, going counterclockwise from what I see, uh, starting off, we got Kevin Shea at The Good Prick. Thank you, Kevin, for joining us today. We got Maj Don from geoinvesting.com, where you can get a seven-day free trial on his newsletter, geoinvesting.com. Maj, I got you. Don't worry. And uh, we also got Yaron Neymark joining us from One Main Capital. What's up, Yaron? And um, all right, let's dig, let's dig right in. The question, why are microcaps surging? Whether that's right now or in 2020, I think we could just talk in general that microcaps have been surging. So I, I'm going to go to Yaron first on this one. So Yaron, love to get your take on this. Why are microcaps surging right now? Yeah, I think, there, I think there's probably a few reasons. Um, I think uh, the most important reason is just that um, I think forward expectations for economic growth um, being distributed across the broader economy have just gone up. Um, I think that's due to a combination of um, increased consumer confidence um, um, and, and, more, and more savings throughout the pandemic. I think people have managed to save up some money. And, um, and the expectation that fiscal stimulus is, is, is not only started, but it's going to continue to accelerate over the coming few years. So um, over the last, call it five years, there's been a lot of monetary stimulus. Um, that's included the Fed lowering interest rates and, and purchasing assets, which is, have helped asset prices, but haven't really helped small businesses that much. Um, and now people are starting to get checks from the government. You know, they're getting direct checks from the government, whether it's enhanced unemployment benefits, or just stimulus checks, 600, maybe going to 2000. And when they, and when, when, you know, your average Joe gets $2,000 into his bank account, injected into his bank account, he's much more likely to go out and spend that in the real world. So it'll help restaurants, it'll help retailers, it'll help car manufacturers. And so I think forward expectations for profits for these smaller businesses have gone up. And then I also think you kind of have this Robin Hood effect where um, individual investors are just more active in the stock market than they've been in a really long time. Um, sorry, excuse me. Um, they're more active in the stock market than they've been in a really long time. And, um, and more money is flowing into the stock market. I saw a really interesting chart over the last few days that, um, you know, the smallest stock price, the lowest stock prices have been up the, in, the high, in, in the highest in terms of percentages over the last few months. Um, and it's interesting. I just think, you know, retail investors who are unsophisticated come and they see $5 stocks and they're like, oh, that's more affordable than a $500 stock. So they're putting more money into these smaller cap names with smaller market caps and lower share prices. And, um, and due to lack of liquidity, as more money flows into the market, um, especially in small caps and micro caps, you know, there's a lack of liquidity. So if that money's trying to flow into these stocks, um, they're, they're, you know, they have to be pushing the stock prices up. So um, those are kind of the two, the two things I see. Um, not sure if any of you guys have any other ones that you're, you're willing to point to. Yeah, Maj, Kevin, you guys want to jump in? I'll go. Um, yeah, I agree with the macro on that, Yaron. Uh, there's quite a bit of economics uh, that are driving availability of money to be spent in these, in these opportunities. Uh, I also look at the, uh, as you said, the future looking uh, issues that, that one has to consider with regard to microcaps, and of course, we've all learned that getting in early uh, with a microcap is going to give you the highest level of return over the longer period of time. So, one of the things that I think is looking looking good here is that there are there are a number of different let's just call them disruptive 
markets that are being developed or that are developed that are taking in a lot of money. Uh, they include, the, of course, the electric vehicle uh, marketplace. It's going to drive for the next 15, 20 years. So I think people are looking at the opportunity that that provides. People are looking at things such as blockchain and, and Bitcoin. Similarly, I mean, highly disruptive um, market areas. And they're looking at fintech. This is another market area growth growth opportunity, growth opportunity in the in the digital space. Um, there are a number of uh, different methods. There, there are a number of different sectors I think that are indeed opportunistic uh, and also longer term that give a give an give a, an investor the the potential of having a, a multi year high growth opportunities in small in these small companies. So not only is the money available, but I think that the opportunity that exists. Again, I keep going back to this idea of innovation cycle. I think the innovations that are going on right now are, are broad and deep. So I think that uh, one can actually look at these things and sit down and, and as I was noting, um, take a look at what might be a long-term investment. Again, that there's not a lot, saying that there's a lot of long-term investments also discounts the fact that there's a lot of speculative opportunities going on right now. And, and those things can also drive some of the prices that we're seeing. Right, Maj, you want to give your first take and then we'll dig into some of the things that everyone said here? Yeah, yeah, I think I really agree with everything they've both said there, you know, Kevin. Um, you know, I, I, something I wanted to add, I think, is that, you know, I think we saw was interesting even before 2000, um, you know, 20 came around and before COVID, that we saw some strength in the, you know, smaller cap market kind of start to percolate in maybe 2018 and really gain some strength in 2019. Which was nice, and um, you know now there's you know to add to some of your points there um, regarding Robinhooders and uh, you know crypto and retail investors. It just basically, we're, I think we're getting a we had a, the whole 2008 crisis came along. We lost a lot of investors, uh, retail investors that would invest in the space, and it just took, takes a long time to cycle you know after that cycle to play out and get new investors involved. You know you know you need you need the retail investors in this nano cap place to start you know get the volume going. And they slowly came back. And I think really a turning point was when crypto really got in 2000, was it 2017? Crypto really kind of started taking off. You started bringing, and then, it, and then the crypto crash occurred. So you had all these retail, new retail investors, you know, millennials getting involved with it, you know, in crypto. And maybe they started finding the stock market and these nano caps as, a, as another outlet to really start looking at it. And you had Robinhood, you know, percolating at the same time. So I think all those things really helped um, bring a new investor into the space. I think there were 10 million new retail investors created in 2020. I was reading that somewhere. And a lot of them were actually women too, which I'm very excited about that trend. I think there's a lot of women who are getting involved in investing now. Um, and another interesting uh, thing I read too was that a lot of the um, new money is going into stock picking and not necessarily, in, you know, not necessarily funds, which is really good for our space because that's where you find, you know, a lot of the value and stuff. And you know, kudos to Mark, Michael Burry. I think Mark Michael Burry called it um, sometime in seventeen that hey, there's going to be a shift out of you know into smaller cap and and, and smaller names. And um, he, he kind of hit it on the, the timing on the head, just like he hit the, the great short, the big short at the time, the timing around that one too. <laughs> so he got that right. Um, so yeah, I'm just pretty. And something else was 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 pretty interesting. I'm noticing too is that. Um, the whole pump and dump kind of scheme, you know, was really a, for a long time, um, you know, reserved for the really low quality companies, um, you know, the, a lot of biotechs, a lot of um, just, you know, the marijuanas or cryptos. But you're starting to see some of that pump and dump activity um, kind of shift into smaller names. The IVFH last week, I thought, two weeks ago, pumped from like 60 cents to almost a dollar, like in a, in a minute. Um, and I know some other ones going. So it's pretty interesting seeing that some of the, I think the pump and dump game is getting tired, you know, and they're just trying to find, you're trying to, best you're trying to find new names to, to pump, good or bad to pump them. So look, we have, you know, I know we don't like pump and dumps and, you know, and we maybe we don't like it. We, we, we talk about um, some of the inexperienced investors maybe getting involved in the market, but it's actually good for the market in the end. It brings a lot of volume, more volume to the whole broader area that we, that we invest in in NanoCap. So, um, you know, I'm really excited about that trend and see if it can continue. Hey, Maj, real quick, are you a shareholder in IVFH? I am, yes, yes. Okay. So for that's long, an interesting for a long time. I was like, yes, finally. <laughs> and then it went right back down, by the way. <laughs> so. Well, I mean, whether, whether I mean, it, that, that was a, that's a pretty 
like uh, interesting take there that pump and dumps are potentially good for the market right now. That is something I didn't that say, I, never... I, didn't say, I didn't say good for the market. Like, like, don't don't put words in my mouth. All right, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'll take that back. I mean, like, but, I think I think it's bad in terms of it brings you know, like it definitely gives us sharp movements in somebody's stocks, but it doesn't necessarily bring a great investor into your stock. So right. then you have to deal with the unwinding of that over several quarters sometimes. You know, after the because these guys don't people don't care about the stock. They don't know what they're buying. So I don't think it's great, but it certainly is bringing awareness. Um, and a lot of that pump and dump activity is, is, is um, occurring, um, uh, as you um, as I mentioned earlier, um, in these penny stocks, like under a dollar or two. I've noticed. But I mean, are you seeing it? Are you seeing like the actively, like what we used to see, like the active paid promotion? Or are you talking about like, you know, somebody that might have a massive following on uh, stock twits or or Twitter, you know, happening to mention because I know that there's a lot of these influencers that have an effect on the markets in ways that are, you know, you, you just back in the day, I'm sure those pump and dump schemers would have been like, damn, I wish I had a Twitter following like that, you know, this would make this my job much more, much easier, you know, but I mean, are you, is, is it these active, is it active promotion promoting going on in some of these names or, you know, is this just potentially quality names that are now getting picked up by some of these people that might kind of know what they're doing, but because of their influence now, they're just, they're rocketing as a result of them mentioning the name. I don't know, I don't know about you guys. I haven't seen a lot of, you know, uh, the pump and dump game has changed over time. I mean, I think a lot of it just Twitter now and and then the IVFH pump, I think, was just a, a tweet by an, individ, uh, um, an individual or an outfit that had a lot of followers. This is the only thing I could see. Uh, I, I, right. I, do, I do sense that if you're looking at the topic of microcap surging and all that, that it, it is brought on by both activities. One is the opportunity to invest in things that are long term, yet at the same time, a lot of speculative trading, very, very quick trading. Uh, <clears throat> you'll see, you'll see uh, various issues have trading of an, of, an, of an average daily volume of 80,000 shares. And then on one day, it'll be 75 million. Uh, you see it regularly. I mean, it's happening all the time. I mean, I just, I'm just shocked by it. And I, I write a little bit about it saying I stay away from those things, but I think- I mean, what was the name? So, sorry, Kevin, I didn't mean to, to interrupt you. What was the name last week? What was it, Signal Advance or something like that? What was- Yeah, it was the wrong signal. Yeah. yeah, it was the wrong signal that yeah, uh, yeah. I think I think Elon Musk tweeted out, and everyone was like, "Ah!" Yeah. And and I think yeah. it was like a completely illiquid pink sheet company, yeah. that, like it's skyrocketed really on nothing. It's really quite funny as you do see these not mass, a shareholder in that name, massive, by the way. massive rises in 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 the in volume, <clears throat> and that that I think is is driven a lot by speculative speculation and day trading. And, and one of the fellows said about everybody staying at home and have their two thousand dollars ready to invest, and I think there's quite a bit of that going on. Whether or not it's the Robinhood effect, or whether or not it's the day trading effect, or, or whatever it is, it, it definitely exists. Um, I, I prefer to look at um, microcap activity uh, from a standpoint of an investor and seeing what uh, what what gives and you know what's what's good from a standpoint of a long term return. Again, as, as I mentioned, I think that you're looking at. I mean, I like I like electric batteries. I like that space. I mean, it's a, it's going to be changing dramatically over the next few years. I mean, Everybody's focusing on it. Uh, you're looking at batteries. If you look at batteries, you have to look at the miners. You have to look at graphite. You have to look at cobalt. You have to look at lithium. Um, every time you sit down and, and tap into the electric vehicle space, you're sitting there looking at it going, wow. Now, even Musk, um, he's a proponent of nuclear power for, for a number of reasons, which we can get into if you wanted to. However, his comment about that has, has spurned on the uranium business. So the uranium stocks are doing quite well. So again, you look at some of these things and you start putting pieces together. It does that. How where's the electricity there? What's the transmission grid going to look like? Things of that type. Uh, you know, are they going to be are they going to be a, a transformer or, or, a, or, a, or a device in everybody's home? So you know, when you start looking at various expanding markets, um, how does it look? I mean, from the investor's perspective. Um, as I was saying, is again, I'm not going to get into the crypto thing because I don't know it very well. So again, cannabis is the same thing. What happens to the cannabis market in the short term if, if the new administration basically opens it up to federal, if, to non-regulatory uh, uh, federal, federal, uh, federal reactions? So, so Kevin, you're hitting on something that Maj just alluded to. I mean, and Yaron, I'd like to get your opinion on this as well is, you know, are, are we seeing this microcap surge? 
because you're starting to see a greater interest in some of these disruptive markets? I mean, is that really what's driving a lot of the volumes that we're seeing in some of these stocks that you probably we wouldn't have otherwise? Yeah, look, I think I think Myers touched on it a little bit. Like you're after 2008, retail investors stopped trusting the stock market, right? They got burned in 2001 um, yeah, after yeah. the dot-com dot yeah. bubble collapsed. Then they Ooh. got burned in 2008 when the housing bubble collapsed. And a lot of millennials and you know middle-aged people were like, man, I saw my parents and my grandparents and like me a little bit lose a lot of money after the dot-com bubble burst and after the housing bubble burst. Like it's only a matter of time before it bursts again. And I just don't trust the stock market. And it takes a long time to work through those scars and get people to come back in. So I think, unfortunately, over the last, you know, 10 to 12, 10 to 12 years, retail participation has been lower than it probably should have been. And the average American has been less invested in the stock market, which has done really well. The stock market has done very well. So they've watched the very wealthy do very well while they've kind of sat on the sidelines. And so I think getting them back involved is very good. The long-term expected return of the stock market is well in excess of inflation, in my opinion. Um, and so that you're creating real wealth for yourself if you invest in the stock market and you don't do anything stupid over time. So I think it's healthy. It's good that they're coming back in. It's good for asset prices, obviously more capital flowing into equities, um, but also it's, it's good for savers. I think the unfortunate part is that you are seeing a lot of speculative activity and that speculative activity um, <laughs> is gonna to lead to some people having subpar results and it, and it works in the short term for them. They're all doing really well right now because you, it's a popularity contest and it's a casino and people are stuck at home and they were bored. And you know the, the, the hot name of the week is the one you buy that goes up three X in the next month and you feel really smart. And I think the worst thing anyone can do is walk into a casino and have a huge night on their first time playing blackjack or craps or something because you think it's easy and it, it's not long-term, it's not easy. And what happens is you get overly aggressive um, into situations that end up not being in your favor and then you get blown up and then you stop trusting the market again. So it could end up being a big wealth destruction opportunity for a lot of people who think they're gonna create a lot of wealth for themselves. Um, hopefully that's not the case. And um, the saddest part is that you see a lot of um, promoters who understand the game, who are coming to take advantage of these unsophisticated investors. So um, it's not just, you know, CEOs who are pumping numbers. There are, are um, you know, there are people who are coming, bringing companies to public, bringing companies public that should not be public. Um, there are business models that are uneconomic today and probably won't ever be economic that are raising a lot of capital on lies and promotion that, you know, they know they're selling you a bag of goods. It's not true, but they're raising capital off of it and they're paying themselves big salaries and selling their own stock into it. And it's, I mean, it's the equivalent of theft, really. You know, you're, you're, you're stealing from less sophisticated people when you're doing that. I'm all for, you know, innovative companies having a lower cost of capital. I think it's great for the world, for innovation. Um, if you have a true visionary CEO who wants to create a product or a service that's going to be really good for society, I want them to have a low cost of funds. And I think that's good that, you know, that society is willing to fund a lot of these innovators with low cost of funds. Um, the unfortunate part is that you do have these leeches who come and take advantage of that. So, um, I mean, the only thing I would say is I would encourage any new investor to really study history and know that it's not easy to make 500% gains a year, even if you see people on Twitter saying they're doing it and telling you exactly what you need to do to do it. And, um, and don't use leverage and debt you know, until you know what you really know what you're doing. It's dangerous and, you know, you could blow yourself up. That's very well spoken. I think that every point that you've made is one that everybody should be listening to. Again, to go back, you mentioned it and I did a little bit of research before we, we joined here today on the dot bomb situation in 2001, 2002 and everything went to bed. Um, I do see that as, that as historical. And as Ron just said, is that if you don't know what history has, has offered, then you really are going to be in a situation where you're going to get taken. So there are so many up. What you were saying, Ramon, was 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 very very similar to what happened back in 2001, 2002, 2000, 2000 2001, when everything really started to go down. Um, however, the thing that did happen out of the dot bomb situation was, of course, there were too many companies that were getting too much money, and they were the VCs were 
were, were, putting, were passing money around like it was candy. However, there were a number of companies that basically did very, very well out of that because they were well controlled. Again, Amazon came out of it, uh, Wayfair came out of it, um, and by, but a number of different things. And company, there were a few more companies like that. There were also other companies that, that uh, tried to do something like pets.com. Um, and now, of course, what you have is you have Petco and you have Chewy and things of that type. So the ideas that were there were actually quite reasonable. However, these, these small companies were spending wildly at, uh, at, uh, at whatever and trying to get money. They ran out of capital. So again, what happened is was that they were, they were trying to grow very, very, very rapidly to suit the needs of the, of the markets, to suit the needs of the VCs. VCs would take them out uh, early and all of a sudden that all, all collapsed. So it was a very, very fascinating period of time where the same speculation occurred. I mean, there was money chasing every stinking deal and, uh, and, and, and any IPO that went out was, was, was rapidly taken up. So again, I have to look back in, in historical times and sit down and see, are we, are what we are looking at here, is it more consistent uh, with uh, the internet boom, the dot bomb boom, dot, dot bomb, uh, more so than the housing market. I mean, I think, I'm not quite sure whether or not there's a corollary in the, in the investments that were made by retail investors and, and my, my, micro cap investors. Um, maybe there is another opinion here, but it's, you know, again, that's, uh, it's one of those things where I think that hindsight is, again, hindsight is 2020 or hindsight is pure science. So um, I think one should look back to see whether or not uh, we we're actually in what might be a bubble at this point in time. You know, Kevin, what's nice though about that time too, Kevin, that when the, when the bubble did burst, which, you know, was, was horrible short term, it did actually start bringing a lot of these companies that were ignored. I mean, these like nice value companies um, that were ignored during the whole dot um, com rush. And, you know, those stocks are actually outperforming relatively, you know, quicker um, when we came out of it. So, so if we have a, if we have a, a bubble here that bursts, I'm, I'm hopefully optimistic that as long as we're, the burst isn't a financial destruction, you know, like a banking issue or something that you'll start seeing a higher quality buyer caps continue to gate interest um, as people look there too. So I remember that um, there were a lot of companies I owned during dot-com that weren't moving. They were, you know, really attractive, but the money wasn't chasing them. And then when the bubble burst, the money started chasing those higher quality companies. So um, that might be an interesting fallout if we do get what you're talking about. Well, Mars, yeah. that, that's actually a great point. To, I want, sorry, Kevin, I didn't mean to interrupt you there, but that's something I wanted to follow up on, on with you. And, and I'm glad you brought this up because, you know, I was chatting with my dad about this, you know, because he's, you know, uh, seen a few of these, these markets. And what? Yeah, he's an OG. He's an OG. That's, yeah, that's for guy. sure. That's for sure. And, and so, you know, one of, one of the points he made that I thought was interesting is that, you know, when you've seen this at other times and now happening again, is especially with microcaps, one of the biggest complaints over the last few years is that you're just not seeing enough quality companies going public earlier in their life cycles. And I don't know if maybe there's an influence here with, with the SPAC market and now there's more of an infrastructure where more companies are not considering going public a little bit earlier or during various things or maybe going public on other markets because it's easier. Um, but at the same time, it still seems like the reason for some of them, the, the micro or why micro caps in general might be surging is because there's too much money chasing few, fewer names. You know, I mean, Maj, what, what do you think about that? Tell me if I'm wrong, please let me know. Remember, I'm crowdsourcing my thoughts here on this. Uh, yeah. I don't know what to think of the SPAC market just yet. It, it, it seems like, it seems like it's a new dot, you know, dot com. <laughs> I'm not, I don't know how it's going to all play out, but look, it is, it is making people some money if I guess we're getting an early end. And maybe, uh, you know, well, time will tell if these facts do play out. I don't, I don't think history will, history, as Kevin, look at history, like Kevin says, is, you know, the SPAC investment usually isn't a great one, at least fundamentally, at least with these companies. But, you know, you made a great point about, look, the, what is going on with these new IPOs and new kind of, um, you know, these new stocks going public. And um, that's why I really focus a lot when I call these tier one companies, tier one nano caps or micro caps. And these are companies that have, you know, management teams of at least 20 or 30 years that have been out there for a long time. There just seems to be something different with those teams um, than the new team. You know, we're focused on short term now. And there's a lot of disruptive stuff going on. So, you know, it definitely um, plays into like, all, um, yeah, I don't know what to think of it, man, Bobby, but I just do not. I, I know I'm concentrating on all these wonderful companies that have been on for a long time, finding new ways to do things, um, you know, and maybe getting new management teams in place. They just hung around, hung, you know, they hung around for years and years through all these economic cycles. 
And when, when things happen, even disruptive stuff happens, they adapt. I mean, just because you're an old company doesn't mean you can adapt to new disruptive technologies. I mean, COVID-19 has created a whole bunch of new industries for a lot of these older companies to re reinvent themselves um, and actually new demand for new things. Um, even the EV stuff and, you know, even the cannabis market. So I'm really concentrating on how does new, all this new stuff going on, you know, these technologies and movements, how is it going to affect some of these really old um, proven companies that can well, see it really up in their growth? I mean, that's my main point is that we're seeing some of the similar things that what, what you and Kevin and, and your own have said here is that it, it's, it's not like this money that's really actively investing in the market. Yeah. A few quality names are mixing in there with, with, you know, higher volumes that they normally have, but for the most part, those tier one names are still getting completely overlooked. And, I, would, I, would, and I, would, I wouldn't say I mean, they're getting, they're, they're percolating. I mean, it's, it's not as bad as it was five years ago, put it that way. Okay. I mean, you have a bunch of stocks I'm looking at right now that are going crazy. So um, it's better. It's much more, I and mean, just in general, the money is more broad. It's, it's, it's more money. There's more money coming in the market just in general. So it's, it's, it's a broader kind of allocation of it. Yes, I think you're right that the tier one names aren't maybe getting the love they should get uh, or that we think they should get at least. that we Because think. they're not EV, like they're not, they don't have, they're not hitting on some of these themes. So, you know, no, not, not smart money. If you want to use that, <laughs> who does see it? I mean, ultimately, you look at uh, you look at the movement in uh, AMD, which I don't own. Um, they were they have been associated with the Bitcoin uh, Bitcoin mining, and as a result, this stock has gone well. Same thing with Nvidia, uh, again, which I don't own. So there, the, there, there, you have uh, you have a, the tier one impact of of these of these new markets that are being developed. I mean, again, I mean, as, as Maj was saying, is that these these. Uh, these older companies reinvent themselves or certainly adapt to what they can provide to the marketplace. So I think that's, I think, I think he's, he's, he's right on the money on that. However, there are other companies. I mean, I look at, I started looking at a few companies again. So there's a company out there that's doing less than one, $1 million in, in revenue. This is an EV business. They're doing less than $1 million in revenue. They have a $3 billion market cap. I mean, it, it's crazy. And I've gone through a few more and it's the same thing. And one of the, another company has, you know, less than they're well less than a million dollars in revenue, and they have these ridiculous market cap 600, 600 million dollars uh, market cap on, on, on one of these things. But three billion dollars for something. I mean, look at you look at another company, this uh, this uh, battery company just came out, um, Quantum Space, which I don't own. Um, <clears throat> they have zero revenue, and at one time they had zero revenue, and at one point in time they had market cap bigger than Ford Motor Company. I mean, this is where this is where you start to down and say, "Whoa, this is getting a little bit bubbly around." At least it's getting frothy. Put it that way, okay? Frothy. Um, so, you know, one has to consider is is are these telltale signs that we're seeing with these, as and again, Mar Marge used the word crazy uh, uh, types of things going on. Are they indicative of anything? So again, I mean, one has to go back and sit down and say, "Is it can can one learn craziness if one goes back and look at uh, the dot com dot bomb type of situation?" Yeah, I, by the way, I don't I don't necessarily think that the overall market is expensive. There's a lot of really good value out there and the overall market multiple to me doesn't doesn't scream watch out. Um, you know, the really big cap stable businesses don't strike me as too expensive. Um, there's a lot of small caps that I think are really attractively valued, but there are definitely pockets, not just of froth. There are, there are pockets of complete craziness and euphoria where people will get burned it's just a question of time and could they keep going up more first yes they very well could um i would not short these names as they're going parabolic um but at the end of the day it's a game of musical chairs and anyone who thinks they know when the music's about to stop is fooling themselves if you're small and nimble and liquid and you're good at reading charts and technical analysis and you're in front of your screen 24 7 and are ready to blow out at any moment then like fine you could play the game but there are going to be people holding the bag. And so um, it's unfortunate. I think that anyone who, um, you know, is investing money that they need for the future, that's not just inherited wealth, that's, you know, play money, I think should really be paying attention to what they own and know what they own at these, at these you know, in today's world. That's a great point, man. And, you know, it's like, you know, and the, and thing is like, there's bubbles and there's bubbles. I mean, there's bubbles in, investment styles where you have crypto blow up, pop blow up, maybe the SPAC thing blows up. 
and there's bubbles that affect the entire economy. They're two different things. So, you know, I'm definitely, there's, there's, I'm not too worried about these bubbles being uh, um, created just as long as there's all this other value we can invest in and it's not going to affect, you know, you know, companies negatively on a, on a broad spectrum, like if you have a financial crisis or something like that, you know. So bubbles are, you know, bubbles, these bubbles are, you know, um, natural. Um, it's a whole part of the ebb and flow of the market and I'm not too worried about it, but it's interesting to watch it and, you know, and if you have a little speculative taste to play it and make some money in it, uh, certainly shouldn't be the, I think what a, a lot of, the problem with a lot of these retail, newer, newer investors that get involved, it's most other strategy. It's the core of their strategy is to follow these, follow these hot trends. They're not looking at what companies are worth. They don't care. They don't think they have to care because in the last 10, you know, well, well since 2008, we've seen these crazy bubbles last for a long time. And at some point it matters, you know, these pockets will blow up, you know, and, and I just, I'm just worried that some of these investors um, who aren't, don't know what they're investing in, are, gonna, are just going to get blown up and we're going to take advantage. I mean, if you know what you're investing in, we're going to take advantage of market, market dips and go and buy these companies that are falling unfairly too. So it's good to see those bubbles occur too, because it gives us opportunity to jump in there. By the way, I do also, part of me wonders how much Twitter has amplified what a new bubble could look like ver right. you know, today, today versus back in the day, because you do have a lot of people posting and Wall Street bets, for example, people are posting screenshots of seven, eight figure accounts where they're like, you know, I put 50 grand into Tesla six years ago and now I'm worth 10 million bucks or, you know, here's how you make money. And, and the ones that kind of make their way up to the popular, you know, that win the popularity contest are the ones where they make it seem really easy. And it's just so easy to get millions and millions and millions of people to hear that story and think it's doable. And you're selling the dream instead of, you know, instead of one person who made a million bucks by speculating, telling five friends, you have one person who made a million bucks by speculating, telling 5 million people who now like it and retweet it and share it. And so like things could get way, way crazier, who knows? But like, again, you definitely should know what you own and you shouldn't gamble with money that you know you can't lose. And um, you're right, you're, you're so right. Because and then the, the way we're with the, all the money, the money coming into the market, even from, you know, the government stuff, it can support that type of activity for, for, for many, for a long time. And you, yeah. you, you said a popularity contest, that's awesome because let's not assume that these, you know, influencers or Twitter handlers are, are making money, by the way. I mean, they're, they're saying they are, right? And so they're selling that dream, like you said. And, you know, if you look on YouTube, every other freaking videos is this, this guy. Every you can't have commercial. That make, that oh. makes money. Yeah. Look, and look, you know, what happened to him? What, I, can I mention, I mean, I don't want to mention the name, but he, you know, he, 007, you know who I'm talking about. He just got busted by the SEC, you know, and, and what, it was, what it was found that, um, he, you know, he was, he's one of the most, um, uh, popular, you know, influencers on the internet regarding penny stocks, penny stock trading, um, and part of the allegation, and which which as she's trying to prove, was that this individual wasn't actually even buying the stuff he was talking about. He was either front running it or wasn't even buying the trades he was saying he was making. So it's and he it's just it's amazing how bad it is. I, yeah. I actually I have to look back at uh, legitimate old style boiler rooms and just. Yeah. Basically, just link and sit down and say that Twitter and these other forums and such are just the new boiler rooms. Um, again, there's, there's, there's everybody out there. I just made twenty five thousand dollars. Wow, you can do it too. Buy my buy my subscription for it's so you know, easy four hundred dollars a month. You know, it's real. It's just it, it, it's an un, it's it's definitely unregulated. Put it that way. Um, and by the way, but I agree with unregulated, and I do think CEOs that are getting aggressive with their pump and dump schemes have been going unchecked in my opinion. And I don't know if it's always been this way, but more, off, more often today than over the last three years, I'm seeing new companies pop up that I've never heard of advertising roadshows. And maybe I think it's interesting. So I sign up for a roadshow and I get a one-on-one -on -one with the CEO that I don't know why he's giving me a one-on-one -on -one before I ever even spoke to him or did a call with IR. And he's telling me consensus numbers are like way too low for the next two years. And he's going to blow out numbers by like three X. And he's telling me all this stuff that should be like MNPI. There's no eight Ks. There's no press releases. I personally don't believe anything they say when they're like, I mean, if they tell you that much information on the first conversation they had with you and you see the stock going up and to the right, they're literally selling you a bag of goods. But like you're seeing this go happen more often, in my opinion, I don't know if you guys see that too. And it's, it's going unchecked. And um, 
you know, in the medium term, I do think it's leading to increased consumer confidence, which actually is good for the economy, surprisingly. Like people feel wealthier, they feel like it's easier to become wealthier, so they're more likely to spend. And I do think like, this is very anecdotal, but like between a lot of people I speak to who have started investing in the stock market recently, I think like their appetite to like spend money and invest, it just seems like their confidence is higher now than it was a year ago. Um, but I just don't Especially see when you how- talk to- Especially when you talk to crypto investors, that's for sure. Yeah, I just I just don't see how it ends well. Yeah, I, I, so the interesting question, here's a, here's a question for everybody. Um, what do you see or have you seen or what would you attribute um, to the instigation of the bursting of a bubble? Obviously it's going up on, on hype and going up on interest and going up on speculation, crawls the wall of worry. And, and you know, we all, we've all seen that particular chart of how things go, go up and down. So the question I have is, and this is one of the things I don't know the answer to, and I, I, I often speculate, but where do the driving catalysts come from? Or where do the catalysts come from that drive the, 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 the uh, turnaround or the, or, the, or the bursting of the bubble? Yeah, a bubble, a, bubble, a bubble is formed when demand for assets is higher than supply for assets. So oh, sure, it's, sure. it's gonna burst with, when one of two things happen either demand dries up and that could be because people have run out of money and they're levered to the hill and they can't lever up anymore. They bought everything they can. I don't think we're there yet. Demand could also dry up if interest rates go up, right? If long-term inflation expectations go up, interest rates go up, people may say, I don't need to speculate anymore because I could buy a government bond that's risk-free for 10%. Like I don't need to speculate, so I'm gonna stop buying all the speculative stuff. Yep. That would be the demand side or supply you know you just get flooded with supply the more and more of these pump and dumpers and stock promoters see the ability to make an easy buck and they just keep bringing more and more SPACs to market and more and more you know companies that do nothing to market at these multi-billion dollar valuations eventually it's going to overwhelm the supply so it's it's one of those two things and like you have to believe that the supply is not slowing down. I mean, the supply, as long as there's demand there, the supply will keep coming and coming and coming. So the question is, will people run out of money first because they just, you know, bought all this stuff or because rates go up or will supply just come, you know, over the next year and overwhelm all the demand? I'm not sure which it is. So am I listening to, if I'm listening to media, for example, and I've always been one to play contrarian to media, um, if the media starts to be, become rah-rah and big supporters of the, of, the, of the rise of the opportunity that exists for all these people, and the media is beginning to open their eyes to it, is, is, is that signal, does that signal a top regardless of whether the supply and demand exist? I mean, is the, does the media have an influence on, uh, the, on the push or the, uh, or the bursting? I think they have an influence on people's behavior, but not on necessarily the bursting of the bubble. I mean, they can, they can help fuel a bubble, no doubt. You know, they just just like you know, Wall Street bets and Twitter can help fuel a bubble. The more people see and talk about a bubble, the more it gets reinforced, and the more likely it is to persist until supplier demand, you know, you know, cause it to not persist anymore. Um, I mean, so I, I don't think talking about it stops the bubble. I think if anything, talking about it makes the you know fuels the bubble. Everyone's getting rich. Look at all these stocks going up. You know. Everyone says it's going to end, but no one knows when. It could go on for a lot longer than it seems. And um, the more people are in, intrigued by that, they go look at stock charts and they see stock charts are only going up. They're going parabolic. Um, I, think, I, think, I think you're more and more likely to suck more people in. I think what makes it end is supply or demand. You know, either there's just too much supply, overwhelms the demand, or demand stops because interest rates go up or people are already too levered. I think those are the two things in my mind. But also from a non-macro perspective, I mean, is there also a potential here where, you know, some of these companies just continuously put out bad earnings reports and they're burning through cash? I mean, could that potentially lead to it? But I know as I was thinking about that at the same yeah, time, it's the like stock, the froth is, they yeah, don't the care. Bubble, it's growthy names, you know. It's, yeah, the bubble stocks aren't, like Kevin touched on this, the bubble stocks yeah. aren't, uh, I'm reporting 20 cents next quarter. And instead I report 22 or 18 cents there. I have no revenue and I'm $30 billion. Yeah. And so there's nothing to miss, right? Like right. whatever targets managements are putting out there, 
they're not going to miss. They're going to keep pushing them out. And by the way, if you say you're going to create 10 widgets today, but a million next year and a billion the year after, and you miss your 10 today, does it really matter? Like if people still believe the million the year after and the billion the year after, I mean, doesn't today's today's numbers don't matter to anyone. I just, I think it's people's ability to buy into the narrative. Um, and I don't think that stops until people start to lose money and they're too levered and stops and stocks stop going up and they'll stop going up either because there's too much supply, right. Or because people are pulling money out of the market. I think those are the two things. By the way, another social, you can value them as a problem. Please come It's better to be, have difficulty valuing a company <laughs> because once you start, they start making money, they can start valuing them and it becomes, you know, it becomes worse. And these, what's amazing too, guys, is they you know these, they're raising money at these prices too. They're, they're building these, these, you know, continually building their balance sheet up, cycling in by raising money all the time. So at these much higher prices, I don't know what that does to the whole, um, you know, game, but that's pretty interesting. Yeah, I remember <laughs> back in, Oh, sorry. It seems odd to me when, when, when I start looking at a lot of this quant-based information about who's getting money and things of that type and what the VCs are investing in. And some of these, some of these investments start to sound very, very crazy. I mean, one of the ones that um, I saw recently is fake shrimp. Okay. Um, beyond meat, of course, is now beyond shrimp. And it's one of those things that's saying, okay, I understand that there's, you know, there's people who want to have non-fish or there are people who have shellfish issues and things of that type, but fake shrimp? What's next? Fake, fake broccoli? I mean, you know. Look, I think I, there's Some clearly a market. There, there's clearly a market for this. These goods. The question is, can you economically produce these goods and sell them for a profit? In a normal world, if you couldn't economically produce them and sell them for a profit, it wouldn't be created. In a world where capital is abundant and people don't care, these businesses are created. And at the end of the day, like the VCs mm -hmm. that are funding these concepts. Right. Every investor is Pavlov's dog. Right. If the bell rings, they keep doing what they're doing. And so when you are funding a business that, you know, has no ability to economically succeed, but you see it IPOing for a billion or two billion dollar valuation and you see your friends doing that and these people doing that at the end of the day, all they care about is their exit. Right. And that exit is Pav is the bell. Right. The bell is revenue multiple, TAM eyeballs, whatever it is, if that's what you're getting rewarded for, that's what you're going to fund, even if it's not economically viable. And so as long as public markets are rewarding that behavior, I think these businesses are going to continue to get funded. And, um, you know, some of it's good for society. If it's creating products or services that I think people want and need that couldn't be created otherwise, um, that are long-term good for society, whether it's clean energy or whatnot, I think that's good for society. But where you have promoters just taking advantage of people and raising a lot of money to, you know, to line their own pockets. I think that's bad. So um, I don't think, I mean, some of it, I'm like, this is absurd and is good for society. Some of it, I'm like, this is absurd. And these are thieves. Um, I don't think you could paint it all with the same, you know, the same brush, but um, it's, I mean, a lot of it will end badly for investors. That's the bottom line. Excuse me. I just got an alert bell on my, on my machine over here. What? I just got. Oh, oh, the pat. I just pat got an alert. Dog joke. <laughs> Bad joke. <laughs> I got you. The Pavlov's dog joke. You got the bell. No, no, it's good. Oh shoot, Maj, Maj just jumped off. That's okay. Uh, he might be jumping back on in a second. But you know, I was also going to say one of the other social media phenomenons that we've seen, and I got to say, it's one of my favorite Twitter accounts is TikTok, and uh, I think it's called TikTok Investors. That that social media account. I just. I, I, I live for it. It's so funny. I mean, some of the stuff that they put out there, but it, but it's funny and yet sad at the same time, because you're seeing a lot of uh, what you all have been saying is just this completely unregulated, you know, talking about stocks and, you know, not all of them have, you know, Bobby Kraft in their ears saying like, you know, full disclosure, I don't own that or full disclosure, I own that, you know, uh, they're just putting it out there, you know, and um and seeing what happens, you know, and everyone's just assuming they're talking their own book. And uh, that's, I, I don't know how they would ever be able to regulate something like that because a new account pops up every day. Uh, so I, I do yeah, think social media we, has really taken over this whole. I do think that when you look at some of these things, you can, you can see a direct correlation between a, an influencer who writes something on Twitter or elsewhere oh, yeah. in the forum. Whatnot, and a, an immediate reaction 
uh, to the share price. I mean, you can see it mostly in 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 the, the daily. I mean, in the um, in the intraday charts, uh, something happens at twelve o'clock, twelve fifteen, and the guy, somebody, somebody says, "Oh, this is going, this is going up." Blah blah blah. You'll all of a sudden see twenty thousand, thirty thousand, fifty thousand shares fly in like that. So there is an obvious uh, influence-driven uh, reaction in the market. Uh, whether or not it's sustainable, or, or as you said, or whether or not the, the influencer already owns the share, and then he, that he or she knows that if I push this thing, there's going to be a bump in, in, bump in volume, and I'll sell into it. And it's not like this is anything new either. I mean, no, this has been around for you. I mean, these social media accounts have been around for years, you know, but it's really been amplified this year, whether you want to say it's the Robinhood effect, Dave Pornoy effect, you know, whatever, whatever it is. But like, it, it, I mean, people staying at home more, you're on social media more, you know, wanting to, you know, look at ways in which you can build generational wealth because you're sitting at home, either collecting unemployment or you're out of a job. I mean, you're just, it's very, you're very susceptible to some of these things. I, I, my hope is that I hope to see everybody take that next step, right? And, you know, be like the Kevins and the Majas and the Eurones, where it's like, all right, let me take the next step in my investing strategy and process where, you know, okay, analyzing the mistakes or analyzing the, the good things that you did and trying to create a strategy around that, you know, so that you're really, you know, just, just, I don't know, act, an active participant in a, in a much more positive way, you know, rather than just buying and selling names that you see and have no idea what they're doing. Um, but you're, you're we'll just see. saying you want to see people mature and, 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 and operate like real OGs. Operate like real OGs. I mean, look, you know, hey, look, there's no one, there's no right or wrong way. You know, look, if you have your, your own strategy and that game works for you, hey, power to you, make it work. I hope you become a billionaire, like make it happen. You know, but I, I would, I, I think we can all agree that the majority um, aren't doing that just yet, you know, and I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm speculating, of course, but. Yeah, look, we're talking about that, but this is going on for years, man. I mean, it, it just, it's just more amplified yeah. now. We know it's more social media, but it was going on in the yeah. 80s, 90s. We're just more aware of it now. We, we talk about it more. So it's, it, it's just part of the market and we have to deal with it, right? And, you yeah. know, um, some of us are going to make money. Some of us aren't. We're all going to go through you know, even we, you know, we go through bad times in our, in our strategies. So, you know, I just don't, I don't, I don't, I think it's wrong. To, it's not right to be mad at the market or, or, or just think, oh, the market's bad or regulars are bad. This is, this is just the market, man. We're in a free economy. Yeah. It's how capital markets work. Yeah. And in order to make money, you need to have this stuff. You kind of, you need to have this open type of uh, atmosphere to be able to trade in and make money in it. And we're all trying to chase the dreams and some of us will do it. And some of us will have challenges along the way, but I mean, I think it's wrong to be mad and criticize it too much. Just, yeah. just be ready oh, for for things, sure. Just be ready for things when when things do go bad. We just got to be ready for it and <laughs> know how to yeah. how to basically make sure that our lives are all structured in a way financially or um, mentally that we can handle yeah. pullbacks. Well, I, I guess my point in saying that was like you know for those listening that like maybe be employing that strategy of like not knowing the names or anything like that, you know, doing great. It's just to not get mad when, if things do potentially blow up for you and, and wanting them to like, it, it just issue that warning of like, Hey, it could blow up. You know, don't think that this is going to keep going up forever. So just wanting to have a contingency plan for when it potent you potentially could blow up. I hope you don't, but having the plan in place is well, definitely this, this something. Is when you at. begin to talk about the the emotional aspects of the market and the emotional aspects of of trying to state that I'm right, okay, I have been right and I will be right. And God damn it, this is going to work out for me. Um, I think that that type of behavioral emotional aspect of the market is also something that one has to kind of self evaluate with. Um, one of the fellows said, "Be prepared." I think it was Maja said, "Just be prepared." Be prepared. I think that's quite true. You just have to be prepared. You have to understand, you know, how to get out, when to get out, when when you when you're actually going to be, you know, um, operating in a level where you we are out of your out of your league, things of that type. So again, you know, figure out figure out what your exits are going to be if this if the thing hits the fan, you know, and the fan's right behind right behind Maj. You know, it's probably already <laughs> past, it's already stuck on there from past from past activity. Actually, it's not on. <laughs> it's right. <laughs> All right. Well, 
I think we, I think we hit all the major points about why microcaps are surging right now. I mean, uh, if there's any last minute things that we missed, uh, please, anybody jump in, but otherwise, you know, I think we're pretty much there. I, I know a couple of you guys have some hard stops. So, you know, love to get everybody's final take on this topic and then where people can go and find more information about you. So your own, let, let's start with you. Yeah. My last take on why stocks are surging, which we haven't touched on is because, uh, Bobby Kraft is doing such a great job um, highlighting microcap managers and stocks. So you're interviewing CEOs and good job, Bobby. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks we, we all owe you a beer, all of, all of us microcap investors. I know Maj um, finds all his ideas from every one of my CEO interviews. Yeah, just, exactly. I, he doesn't want to admit it, but I know he does. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, everyone, uh, everyone who listens, who's an, you know, a regular listener should know where to find me. But if you are not a regular listener, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at one main capital, the number one, the word main capital. And uh, my contact info is uh, on, on there as well. So feel free to reach out. Very cool. Thank you, Ron. Kevin? Well, I'm still at the, at the good brick, um, which of course the followers are surging, like the, like the market. Like itself. the markets. Yep. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Um, but no, I think that I think all the commentary that was here was quite, quite valuable from the macro levels that I think that, that we are operating in through the through the, the good the good um, opportunities and the bad opportunities. I think we talked about the boiler rooms and how they affect markets, bubbles and things of that type. So I think we covered the cover the space pretty well. And that would be I think it'd be very well served uh, if people did in fact begin to understand that these are the various elements that, that come into play in the in the market. Very good. Thank you, Kevin. And uh, our next goal for Kevin that, uh, you know, we'll talk about at some point is getting into a thousand followers. So uh, let's, uh, let, let's get, let's get them up there. And uh, all right, Maj, your final take and where people can find more information. Yeah, well, thanks Bobby for doing this. And it's, it's a topic I love. And just look, I don't really know where markets are going and I don't predict markets or try to do that too much. I just, but I'm optimistic about um, where that space is going and I hope it continues. Um, I think it will continue um, the next few years that to garner interest in the nano caps, my caps. So hopefully it goes that way. Um, you can follow me. Um, my personal Twitter is Maj at Maj Geoinvesting. Of course, Geoinvesting is at Geoinvesting and um, Geoinvesting.com is our um, the website where we um, highlight these um, strategies in the nano cap space and my cap space, tier one companies, and we offer a free trial. Yeah, free trial. And also Maj is the host of Avoiding the Crowd with Maj Sway Don, that, you know, the hottest new microcap podcast in in uh, in the market right now. You know, we're adding to more content to your investing listenership uh, to hopefully not confuse you more on what to do. Uh, but uh, we, yeah, we definitely go and check. That the space is hot. <laughs> what was that? We only, if we get five investors to listen to the podcast, we're hot in this in that space. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. Well, you can actually, you can go and listen to that on anywhere that you get podcasts. You can also see it on the SNN Network YouTube channel, youtube.com slash SNN Wire. And also on geoinvesting.com, you can see every episode there. And with that, I got nothing else to plug. This was a great episode. Thank you all for joining me today. This was a lot of fun. And uh, I'll catch you all again soon. Bye, guys. Thank you. Bye. Thanks, guys. Nice. Thanks, guys.